And this is what, where really the pleasure is. The, the pleasure of research is not just a teeny tiny problem that you have. Usually, you know, it comes, it comes, you know, like uh, more larger than that. This is is not frustration. I mean, what you call frustration, I call that fun. No, I am so lucky because I'm good in almost nothing, and so. I used to wonder about people that, you know, I had friends who could go either for their PhD in physics or into law because they were good at so many things. And I think, now how do you make that choice? And uh, I never had to make a choice. I knew I was really good in math and physics. And so it, my road, like in elementary school, I wouldn't have said that. Uh, you know, I just wanted to stay in school. But uh, certainly by the time I was finishing high school, it was very clear where I belonged. And so I didn't really even have to think about it. Good evening. Tonight, the Academic Society and the Student Afton Committee are honored to host two very special guests. Together, they specialize within laser physics, and on the 2nd of October this year, the Royal Swedish Society of Sciences, Academy of Sciences, announced that the two of them would be awarded with the Nobel Prize in Physics widely considered the most prestigious prize any physicist could hope to be awarded. Tonight, we will get to know the two of them a bit better, I hope, and uh, we are very lucky to have with us today uh, the author, the journalist, and the moderator, Katarina Rolfstotter-Jansson. Katarina will be interviewing our guests here on stage, and she will also be in charge of the Q&A session that will conclude this, this evening. And if you haven't done so already, I strongly encourage you to think of a question for one of our guests. It isn't every day that you get the chance to ask a Nobel Prize laureate a question. So please do take that opportunity. Now, I would like to ask you to join me and the rest of the committee in welcoming our dear guests the Nobel Prize laureates of physics in 2017, seven, 18, <laughs> Professor Donna Strickland and Professor Gerard Moreau. Wonderful to have both of you here. We're very honored and very excited. Thank you. Speaking of excited, <laughs> I'd like to, uh, for you to tell the audience about the day, the big day when the phone call came. What was it like? Did you expect it at all, Professor Strickland? No, I certainly didn't expect it. I mean, this work was done 33 years ago, and so why would you expect 33 <laughs> years after you do something that, oh yeah, someone's going to recognize it? Uh, no, and uh, on the East Coast time in uh, North America, you get the call at five in the morning, so you're certainly not expecting that, so you wake up. <laughs> and of course, if uh, any parent in the room will tell you, if you get woken up in the middle of the night, you think it's, it's a problem. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my husband actually is the one who answered the phone, and I'm saying, what's wrong? And he's going, they're asking for Professor Strickland. So that's obviously, 
you know, not the way if my kids were in trouble, they would be referring to me. And um, so then I get the phone and it just says, this is an important call from Sweden. Please stay on the line. And I knew, I mean, I had heard the news that it, uh, the medicine once had been the day before and physics would be that day. So it was like, okay, Sweden, five o'clock in the morning. So then I'm holding on to Doug going, oh my God, I think it's maybe the Nobel Prize. <laughs> um, and so I hung on because I am a rule follower. And, um, but unfortunately they had hung up on me. And uh, so I, I hung on for 15 minutes going, well, how long are they saying not to hang up? Um, but obviously I wasn't thinking because my iPad was beside my bed, which I, people say you shouldn't have those things beside your bed. But anyway, I could have, I finally checked my email and it was, I got an email from the Royal Swedish Academy saying, we are desperately trying to call you. But of course I hadn't hung up the phone. Um, <laughs> please call us. So then, you know, it's the Royal Swedish Academy on October 2nd at five in the morning. What else could it be? What so, else could it be? Yeah. yeah. But that was amazing. Yeah. Did you, I mean, how, what goes through your body and your brain that, that 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 instance you must be oh my god that's all you think it's like that how can this be happening to me um this is too wild and i'll tell you that um when i i texted four people at five ten in the morning my sister my brother my son my daughter now i knew my siblings would get it but my kids weren't going to be awake at five in the morning and my daughter's phone had actually been, uh, or email had been hacked in the summer, mm. and that was uh, upsetting for her. When she got the text from me, she went, oh no, mom's phone has been hacked. <laughs> so that's how much we all expected it. <laughs> and then her girlfriend uh, texted her at seven in the morning and said, wow, your mom won the Nobel Prize. And Hannah said, no, her phone's been hacked. <laughs> and so her friend had to get back to her and go, no, it's on the news, Hannah. And so then she, um, then she phones me screaming, um, and she says, I can't believe it. And then she, she puts it on her Facebook, my mom won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> and at, by this time, of course, her supervisor, she is a, a PhD student in astrophysics uh, this year, first year, and her advisor is somebody who's really about promoting women in STEM, and he had already been out there in his Facebook or whatever saying, a Canadian woman, right? Because it's big that I'm a woman, but you know, 50% of us are. But there's only 0.5% of us that are Canadian, so it's really big. <laughs> and um, he said a Canadian woman has won the physics prize. And then he reads his own students' Facebook and says, no, it's even closer to home. It's our <laughs> own Hannah Dykar's mother that's won the that's Nobel Prize. Story. So the whole, it was just exciting all around. <laughs> and it kept being exciting kept for being, a while. It just keeps going, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. How about your... Your, uh, how did you receive the call, Professor? Well, uh, you know, for me it was a little bit different because um, you know, I knew that uh, the field was really very, very active, mm -hmm. the field of extreme light, many, many conferences, you know, uh, and, and so uh, you know, I knew that it was not it was, it was in the realm of, of possibilities. And um, so I was watching, no, it's not exactly that. In fact, I was going for the swimming pool at, uh, because I'm a swimmer and I like to swim at, uh, you know, during the break, lunch break. And uh, so I was on my way to, uh, for my swim for the pool and uh, my secretary said, hey, don't, don't, go, don't go anywhere. You have a phone call. 
And so I picked up the phone and, uh, well, at first, you know, I noticed that it was, uh, we were in France, okay? So mm. I noticed that it was... You didn't uh, have to be uh, woken up in the morning. I'm sorry? You didn't have to be woken up in the morning. No, 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 no. <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, uh, I was on my way for the pool and uh, then she said, hey, uh, don't, don't go anywhere, I have this phone call, you know, from... Uh, from foreign countries, and I picked up the phone, and it was, of course, the, the president of the committee of um, Nobel Committee, mm -hmm. who said that, you know, I was selected as the uh, Nobel Prize winner. So that I was very, 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 very pleased. And he said, well, by the way, okay, you are going to have a color eight, which is going mm -hmm. to be Donna Strickland, your former student, mm -hmm. you know. It was great. It was great because, um, you know, getting a Nobel Prize is, uh, for a man, is, <laughs> is a really big accomplishment. And knowing, we, we knew that, of course, very few women was getting Nobel Prize. And knowing that, uh, also, that the Nobel Prize was awarding to a former student, mm -hmm. of course, that, that, was, that, that was really... Uh, I, you know, uh, um, it, it was really a, a very nice, interesting plus. So, uh, so of course, you know, I, I have to say that I, I was, I, I crashed. I was, uh, I had tears in my eyes and so on because, you know, it's, it's such, a, such a, such just an incredible event. Mm -hmm. You know, because, um, you know, usually, I mean, you don't have one chance. You have zero chance. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and that's clear. Even if you are really very good, and I know around me, you know, we know uh, all our colleagues around us, you know, who could have really, uh, who could hope for it, you know, and so on. And, and uh, you know, uh, at one point it must be uh, some like, uh, but it's it's a it's a very very uh, powerful powerful news, you know. Mm. Really. And since that call, especially since you arrived to Sweden, you've been enjoying each other's company, and I understand it's been a quite intense stay here in Sweden. Can you tell us a bit about what's what's happened? What has happened since you arrived? What has happened? Let's see. I've gotten to walk into the city hall on the arm of a king. I <laughs> mean, how many times do you get to do that? Um, you know, and my sister was in the audience and she, or, you know, at the banquet and she did not know that that would be happening. Mm. And, uh, you know, she <laughs> couldn't believe that she's sitting there watching her sister, her little sister, you know, walking, uh, down on the arm of a king. It's, mm. it's unbelievable, isn't that? Um, and, and then we go the next day to the palace and as my husband was telling some people in the hotel that I have not gotten, like, I didn't get to see Old Town in Stockholm. Um, because I have not had any time to do anything that a normal tourist would do. But on the other hand, most tourists never get to go in the palace. And we went and dined in the palace with the royal family. And that's uh, amazing. Mm -hmm. So what has Absolutely. been the, the biggest for you, the biggest experience? Well, I mean, that was uh, exactly <laughs> what, uh, what Donna says. You know, it's that. very difficult to go <laughs> higher than that. <laughs> I was also very pleased by the lectures. Mm -hmm. Lectures was, um, you know, it was something, 
important and so on. It's something that you, you cannot screw up, you know, and so it went well. But yeah, I, I think the, the highlight was clearly uh, having to go with uh, my wife and I, you know, uh, to be invited by the king. And so I was, uh, she was next to the king and I was between uh, a king and next a to the queen. Next to the queen. <laughs> we okay. Physics doesn't do any on my better. My <laughs> wife, I, I had uh, Princess Sophia and, uh, <laughs> and so on. I was walking also with, with her, Imam. So, so, I mean, this is what Donna says, you know, how many mm. times in your life mm. you, you can do this, you know. So, what, you know, yeah, very, 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 very nice. I think it's going to take us some time to really digest to it, yes. Of to course. digest it mm. because it's, uh, it's too much. Mm. <laughs> it's too much. It's like, you know, you it's it, you're in a cloud. I mean, you do. F I have described it, and, and you have to have had children yourself, and so it's only women that are going to get this. But um, when it first happened, I, I gave a talk. They asked me to give a talk in my department just like two or three days later. And I tried, and then I had to answer questions, and I went, okay, I should be able to answer that, but right now my brain is mush. And this, you know, it happened after my two babies were born, <laughs> my head turned to mush, but you're just, you know, and, and it's, it's very much like having a baby winning a Nobel Prize because you know that it's a very special time in your life and you want to really, really enjoy it and you know it's only going to last for so long that, that either the, the week is so long or that your baby is only a baby for so long. Mm. But on the other hand, when you have a baby, you're going, could you just sleep a little bit so I can sleep? <laughs> and so that, it's very much the same. Mm. And so much hard work behind, of course, you getting this prize. What has driven you to be so successful? What has been your sort of your fuel in your work, Professor Moreau? Well, I mean, I, I like physics. <laughs> I like physics and I have to say that, you know, first of all, I mean, when, when, when you are doing studies, you know, and so on, you never expect, you know, really to make a living you know, uh, doing research. <laughs> you know, I, I, have, I had no idea that was existing. But little by little, you know, I got involved with research and, uh, you know, you go through the ropes and then you become, uh, uh, you, you, you first you, you, you start with the idea of the advisor and then you start to generate your own idea. But very, very quickly I found that uh, myself, you know, really passionate about what I was doing. Mm. You know, and that is really uh, the key. And uh, and once you have, we are passionate about it. You know, you don't really pay much attention mm -hmm. about uh, you enjoy what you are doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only thing, basically. I mean, almost the only thing that you like to do. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't call that work. You know, maybe enjoyment. That's, you know? that's wonderful to be able to say that after yeah. long and well, such I mean, extremely uh, successful and, and, and career. And also, I don't know if that's going to be your next question, but what are you going to go after? That's after going to come later. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, well, you can I'm, answer I'm, it now you, if you, you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to answer <laughs> the question. So anyway, yeah. uh, bon, so I can answer already. Uh, I'd say, well, you know, nothing's going to change mm -hmm. because there's nothing more for me. It's not raising no problem. I, I was not working to get the Nobel Prize. I was working to do physics and joy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this, uh, my, my goal is still the same. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to have 
being played here as the uh, Cindy Lauper girls just yeah, want to have sorry. fun. I think you sort of got that because uh, I saw in the interview with you that that was a song that really inspired you. Could you tell us about that? Do you know the song? Do you, girls just want to have fun, Cindy Lauper? Mm. Tell us. I don't know that the song inspired me, but I think uh, when I was thinking of the, I knew I was doing the banquet speech and uh, uh, I, I've had many interviews and I, I didn't even know, I guess in my very first interview, I must have said physics is fun. Mm. And then every other person has come to me and says, you say physics is fun. And I said, did <laughs> I say that? Okay, but well, it's true. So I must have said it. Um, so then, just when I was thinking of it, and then th there's only two things people want to talk to me about, really, is why do you think physics is fun, and why do you think I'm the third woman? Mm. So it was girls having fun, and so obviously Cindy Lauper, and, and it just mm. happened that the song was out when I was in grad school, so that's, that's what made me think of that song. Mm -hmm. But talk, speaking of inspiration, where do you get, apart from some music. Uh, where do you get your inspiration and your, and your best ideas? Is it, is it in the lab or is it in the, in the woods or uh, in solitude or among colleagues? Where does it really sort of... I think it comes every... It just comes all the time. Sometimes in the middle of the night you wake up and you think, ah, oh, that's of course what it was. Sometimes it's because you do... We do... This is why scientists go to conferences so that we can mm -hmm. talk to each other. Uh, and so then it's while you're talking to somebody that mm -hmm. you get the idea. And sometimes I do like to spend an awful lot of time by myself. I like to walk on the beach. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it's sand. And it, it, it can be any time. You never know when it's going to hit you. So you have a piece of paper next to your bed? No. Pen. No, I, hopefully if I have an idea, I can somewhat keep it in my head long enough until <laughs> and, I and, still, and still sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, How I, about I, you, Professor? I will, I mean, uh, uh, the thing is, because you are as I said, you know, very, very involved with what, what you are doing. So you are really constantly uh, thinking really about, uh, about your, your work or whatever, your occupation. You say research. work because it's... No, it's I don't want to say mm. work. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. But um, this occupation, you know, it's, it's like uh, when you like something, you know, you think about a lot. And, um, and for, for instance, I mean, a very... Uh, one of the key idea, because and like um, like uh, uh, Donna says, you know, uh, ideas can come any times. Mm -hmm. You know, you cannot you cannot plan, you know, to get an idea. That's right. You don't need a piece of paper uh, uh, near your bed or something because mm -hmm. you don't know it will appear uh, somewhere else. But in uh, one case, for instance, uh, I was uh, skiing with um, Marcel, my wife, who is in the audience, and um, I was on a chairlift, and we were working on the problems. You know, we had to solve for this CPA. You know, this we had to solve one critical problem, and um, and I was, we were thinking about that for a year. You know, and then I was on a, a chairlift. You know, chairlift. you know, when you are in a chairlift, Just don't you? Mm -hmm. you are, I mean, it's, it's nice, you have mm -hmm. blue skies, you know, the, uh, if you like skiing, you know, you, you love this, and, uh, and it's very, I mean, it's resting moment, moment right? And uh, then, bang, I got the idea, so I went on the top of the, the, the slope, you know, and then I told Marcel, well, we were with some friends. I say, I think you have to, 
to go back with, <laughs> with so-and-so. <laughs> and uh, I, have to go, I have to go to the lab. So I went, I went, boom, I skied down, went to the parking lot, and drove back to the lab. It was about uh, 50 kilometers or so away. And then I, I came in the, in the lab, and I say, that was on Saturday, you know, that was on Saturday, you know, in the States, uh, students, grad students work on Saturday. Well, yeah, we worked every day. <laughs> and I say, well, stop what we are doing. <laughs> I know what to do. <laughs> did, you, did you wear your outfit still? Oh, yeah, I don't, I, I, no, I, I, you know, I didn't have my ski on. No, 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 no of course. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of getting inspiration uh, everywhere, and, and there are many students here in, in the Ola, of course. Um, can you give any advice on how to manage work-life balance, health, family, work? Mm. Or does this type of work and success that you have achieved always come with sort of price when it comes to yeah. entertaining other to parts of your life? Uh, no, I probably did put family um, ahead somewhat, and uh, I don't know, like I didn't travel as much when my children uh, were growing up, and I certainly did try. I, I do tell this silly story of my son, because um, I did, here's the story. So my husband and children are Jewish, and we were having Passover, I am not Jewish. And my son, by this time, decided he was an agnostic. And he says, I don't want to have Passover. I'm no longer Jewish. And I said, I've never been Jewish in my whole life. And I want to have Passover. It's a time for the family to sit together and celebrate. And he said, if we were a normal family and never ate together, that would be special. But you make us sit down every night and have dinner <laughs> together. So what's so special? <laughs> and I went, ah, oh, that doesn't matter how you try. You still can't win with your kids. So there you go. So, but but I, I also want to say that I had dinner with my kids because I wanted to have dinner with my kids, not for my kids. <laughs> so yeah. you were actually able to, to, to... I mean, most of the, I mean, you can't do it all the time. Obviously, mm. our job, we do have to travel for conferences mm. and there are times um, uh, when you're teaching, I had a, you know, certain terms, I did a seven o'clock help session and so that messes things up a little bit. But, so it's not a you know, absolute rule, but I certainly try to do it most of the time. Mm. Mm -hmm. And how about health? I mean, to be able to, to take care of your physical, I mean, to be able to exercise, you swim. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm swimming and uh, I'm skiing, I'm swimming and I'm a squash player and so on. And uh, I try to do that regularly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, when I'm sw going swimming, and, and, and you know, I, I don't like it too much because, uh, for you know, because you feel tired and mm. so on. But I try really to, to discipline myself, you know, to have every day. But every day that means three or four times a week, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's not every day. <laughs> because you have always something, you know, in a way. Mm. Okay. Uh, so that every day, you know, I say. I have to do uh, so and so, you know, mm. so many laps and so many, uh, yeah. Uh, so no, I, 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 for me, I really, I'm, I'm very, um, try to get disciplined to work, absolutely. Mm. There's a lot of information, a lot of also research on, on stress connected to our constant, um, that we're always on in the digital world with devices, etc., uh, and how important it is to actually give your brain a rest. 
we, we wouldn't have the idea of working our biceps for 16 hours, but we can work our brains for 16 hours nonstop. Do you have any techniques to sort of make your precious brains rest? Do you meditate or, or sleep, take, uh, take naps? Or I mean, how do you protect your precious brains? I actually think I'm a Luddite. People, um, this is why Gerard said that people couldn't actually find me because uh, I'm sort of reclusive too, that people didn't have my phone number. And Gerard has tried many times to phone me on my cell phone. I'm almost never on my phone. Mm. I actually uh, don't like people to get in touch with me. I do like my cell phone when I want to get in touch with them, but I don't like people to get in touch with me. Um, and so I almost never have a phone on. Actually, the f one of the times I went to the airport, and this, is even, this was a few years ago, I now have uh, many things that I have to take out, but uh, people already were having their cell phones and their laptops and their stuff, but I'm very lazy, and I didn't, or, like, did not want to carry a laptop. Those, they were heavier in, back in the day. And I got to the airport and they said, you have to take all the stuff out, your cell phone. And I said, I don't have any of it. And he goes, well, you must. And I said, I don't. And, uh, and so then I think must. he actually said, are you a Luddite? And I said, I must be, I don't know. But <laughs> I don't like to be bothered by people. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds yeah. like you have your technique down pat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Speaking of challenges, because that is a challenge, of course, how to handle stress in and, and, and this, this context. Um, the challenges that you have encountered, because I'm sure there has been a few over the years, um, w which one have you learned the most from? What would you say? Well, I think maybe the challenge is really, as you said, is to keep balance, you know, mm. the family and our work. I think I am very fortunate, you know, to have really a, a wife which is really, which understands and so on, and we We've been working together, enfin, we've been there together. She, she understands my passion. And I have also the feeling that um, it's also is, is a good, it's good for the kid. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate, as I said, so I can tell what I'm doing, you know, with passion, mm. you know. And it's not like if I was maybe going to s doing some work, you know, and so on. No, when I come back, I can I, I explain to Marcel, my wife, I explain to, mm. and even if she don't understand quite, but uh, you know, I'm saying, I, I have this idea, and, you know, if we do this, 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 we can find that, mm. you know. So I, I try to, um, to share my enthusiasm, you know, with, with the family, that I'm trying, mm. okay? Mm. Sometimes I'm, I'm, you know. I'm do they ever angry. tell you enough? Not really, mm. no, no. And now they understand. Of course, I got the price. Now they understand everything. Now mm. they understand. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but you are right. I mean, that's. Uh, I think the most most the ch most challenging things is really to keep a balance. You know, uh, to keep uh, the family going. Mm. You know, with with. Uh, you need, you need, they need your presence, you know, so I have my way to be present in the family. Mm -hmm. yeah. do, you, do you have any good advice in terms of... I, you know, as I can tell you as an academic, the thing that I found most challenging was the fact that you have to be a multitasker. Mm. And I don't think um, we get trained for that at all, because as a graduate student, you have to do maybe classes for a while and research, but eventually you're just doing research. And then the most beautiful job in the world, for any of you that are graduate students, the most beautiful job in the world is being a postdoc. Because being a postdoc is you're not doing classes, you don't do committee work, you don't do, you just do research. 
Um, and it's really just nothing but getting to do science for a few years. It's just the best job. Like, and I said when I was leaving um, my postdoc, I thought, my goodness, if I could do this for a living for my whole life, wouldn't that be fabulous? But you don't get to do that. <laughs> so um, when I became a professor, there's a lot of multitasking. Uh, because you have to teach, and you have your grad students in your lab that you have to look after, you have the classes that you have to look after, you have a lot of committee work, and as a woman, and I will tell you this is one of the big challenges for females, and this is the only reason that we really need more women in it, is that now, because we want more women in it, every committee must have women on it. So even though we're only about 10%, maybe 15% women, 100% of the committees must have women on them. And um, so we seem to be committed to, to almost death, okay? And so we have to do all of that. Mm. Um, and so it's just keeping all of it, the boxes checked and knowing that you're somewhere, you know, being pulled in 100 different directions and still manage to focus on each one is a tough one. Speaking of, of the female balance, I'm, I'm sure you must be by this time slightly tired of, of sort of addressing this subject, but it is, it is an important subject. Um, since 19, since the first Nobel Prize, we only had 20 of 607 Prices, Nobel Prizes in science. Really? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. okay. Awarded to, to women. Uh, and the Nobel Prize Committee has changed, its, changed the, the nomination process. What do you say about this? That they actually have now changed the nomination process to make it more relevant to broader gender bricks. This is true of just about everything, and I don't think the Nobel Prize is any different than, mm. than anything else. I think... Um, most institutions are realizing that there's things that have not been handled correctly. And one of the things that they are really trying to educate us all on now, and including women, okay, it's, it's not a man doing it to women, women do it to women, or any other um, group of people. Uh, there's our, there are implicit biases, and mm. um, they're now trying to teach us all of what to be aware of and how to understand that you don't think you're biased, but maybe you are. And uh, it, it, there's just a trend right now to say that things have to change and, uh, mm -hmm. and we're doing it. Excellent. Mm -hmm. If I simplified this cooperation between you uh, immensely, um, mm. you sort of came up with the idea and you sort of perfected it. Is that a correct, very mm. simplified okay. description? Yeah. yeah. Correct, mm -hmm. simplified. Correctly, correctly <laughs> simplified. <laughs> and please tell us about your collaboration, your cooperation. I mean, how, how have you been over the years? When, did you, when were you the student of Professor Moreau? Well, I went to Rochester in the fall of 81, and I actually went to his lab that fall. Um, you, are, you are supposed to spend one year just doing classwork, but um, I don't know if I should say this or not, but... The uh, Canadian system is sort of halfway between a British system and an American system. And for those of you who don't know the difference is that, um, I don't know about the rest of Europe, uh, but, but Britain, you get focused pretty early in your um, schooling to know if you're going to do physics, and so they, you get taught pretty quickly, and you hardly take any classes once you're in grad school. And the Americans truly believe that you should be well-rounded, mm -hmm. and you should have an arts education, and you should be broadly, broadly educated all the way through. And Canada's always somewhere between Britain and the United States. Mm -hmm. It's just the way we are. Um, and so that case, I had t already taken a lot of the classes that I just simply took again when I got to uh, graduate school. So I didn't have it as challenging as some of my classmates. Um, and so then I got chastised by, by the McMaster professors to say, just because it's easy for you, that's, that's wasting your 
talent. Find, you don't have to find an advisor, but you get back there and you find an advisor. I was home for Canadian Thanksgiving, which is sort of October time. So I said, okay, fine. Um, now, I had already um, been shown Gerard's beautiful lab, and so I already had it in my head that I would like to work mm. with him, but I went back. So I think it was just that October, so only October of 81, and I asked if I could work maybe just 10 hours a week, because I did not own a car, which is also a very hard thing in the United States. I didn't realize that either. Mm. They have no public transportation. So and no sidewalks. They have, you know, <laughs> it, you're, yes, you're supposed <laughs> to have a car in the United States. I, I finally realized that. But um, So I did start working just 10 hours a week that time and he just we just I did odd jobs for more um, more than starting on this project or anything like starting a thesis but uh, and then by the second year by so fall of 82 I would have started working full-time with him mm -hmm. so how many years did you work side by side it took well. me seven years to get my <laughs> PhD <laughs> yeah it wasn't a fast one um, now partly because I, I knew I wanted to do a PhD from elementary school because I knew that I loved school. From elementary school yes. already? Mm. Somebody had told me about an older sibling, much obviously much older sibling, getting a PhD and I asked what that was and they said it's the ultimate in education and right then I went well then that's for me because I I'm, somebody, I'm somebody who was perfectly happy to go back to school at the end of summer vacation so I knew I belonged in school and so when I started grad school I wanted to do the world's best PhD but I also didn't I wasn't in a rush because I had no plans after that <laughs> my life's goal was to get a PhD <laughs> so since there was nothing beyond the horizon mm. I wasn't in a rush yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Mm. and your connection to um, Arthur Ashton is sort of 50%, really is 50% of the price. How, how, how is the connection between the two of you and the other physics Nobel laureate? You mean uh, because we have 50% 50, 50 and Ashkin mm -hmm. or the other 50%? Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. uh, the connection is that we both did laser stuff, but I don't care. I, I, you know, I, you don't we care? don't work. I mean, you get a Nobel Prize. Okay, this is it's ice on the cake, you know, mm. it's just nothing, uh, I, if we had no... I, no, it's whether, I, do, how do we uh, know, what's how our exactly? connection? What's what is our, your connection? What's how? our actual connection exactly. to No, 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 but I, I was going to answer this, mm. because, I mean, we, we, we really never talk about Askin. Askin say yes, and, I mean, because I'm sure if he had 60% of the price, or he would have said yes anyway, Something for, for us, said, yes, you know, we, we, don't argue, we don't negotiate, I mean, we don't negotiate no, no, with no. a fraction <laughs> of the price. That wasn't so it was <laughs> never, I think, to me and to Donna, we never questioned the, the price and we never questioned the ratio we get, we no. are getting. And that was, was really what I meant, I meant more like uh, your work, how is yeah, your work is connected? Our work. our work isn't related. Can you relate in our any no, matter? No, 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 no and I zero. do not know him. No at all. I, I mean, I've seen him give a talk at laser conferences and stuff, but I had never actually met him. I just mm. talked to him um, the week before I came. But now I, you've met, um, I mean, throughout this week, several times. I, I no, see. but Art Ashkin is 96. He was not able to of come. Of course, of course. I'm sorry. Mm. I forget. He yeah. wasn't here. That's why, so. that's why I called mm. him. Mm. Um, certainly the banquet speech, uh, he should have given the banquet mm. speech. He, is, he was a 50% winner, so, mm. but he couldn't be here. And uh, it is supposed to be something that we discuss and so I wanted to ask him uh, what he found fun 
<laughs> I wanted to make sure that what I talked about him in the banquet speech was what mm. he was, you know, because it didn't but have he was to included. be laser yeah. tweezers. Mm. But he said that he had the most fun ever in the lab when he first put cells together with his laser tweezers. So, um, mm. but in the end, he is quite a character, and I could not get off the phone with him. People think I talk a lot, but <laughs> my my goodness. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, so he's, he is a character, so we had a good conversation. What would you say is the biggest win for humanity with your work? You take that one, Gerard. Well, I mean, for us, maybe the medical. You know, I mean, we, uh, we kind of discovered accidentally, you know, that what with our laser, you know, had this... Uh, interesting property mm -hmm. to uh, cut perfectly, you know, without any collateral damage. Mm. Okay, so it, it was a perfect scalpel. Mm -hmm. So that was really an, an application that, of course, immediately we, we, we could see, and, and, and the eye, of course, you know, is a place where you really want to have mm. precisions, you know, <laughs> of course. And, and, and the laser was perfectly cut for this uh, type of work. Others, and for other applications, I will say, uh, for humanities, right? I mean, but no, not really, we are not talking about fundamental. Uh, no, no, I'm uh, doing the right Thanks for the um, mankind. Mm. And, uh, well, so I will say, we have so many problems now, of course, with uh, with uh, challenge, with um, climate change and uh, energy and so on. Um, but this is what I'm going to do: is try to push uh, our work in these directions. Ah, okay. and could you elaborate a bit on that? Because that's in well, these times. I don't really. Um, uh, there's big problems. Mm -hmm. okay. Let me know, yes. And uh, for instance, one problem is uh, debris in space. You know? Plenty. Every time when you are launching a satellite, mm. you know, you have a rocket, you know, you have, you are creating zillion, uh, you know, amount of debris. It's a junkyard up there. It, it is a battlefield, mm. I would call it. Battlefield. Mm. It's a battlefield because each debris, you know, very, very so, very small, or, you know, uh, travel at 10 times the speed of the fastest bullet. So, I mean, you see this, uh, if you have a debris of a millimeter size or even centimeters, and uh, if, you, if you get it, you know, you can really ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your, so, your yeah, work I mean, so might be able to... This is, uh, this is one problem. For why, why I think we, have, we are proposing some solutions, and solution is really try to, to have one of our lasers in, in space. And because they are very, very short, uh, the laser, uh, the pulses are very, very short, and then we can really create on the debris. We don't want to blow the debris away, okay, because that is too much energy. But what we can do is to ablate the mm. one section of the debris, mm -hmm. and, and so that the debris can uh, fly, you know, maybe in the direction of the atmosphere and get burned by the atmosphere. Mm. 
Mm. This is one way. Mm. Okay. So, uh, I, and I think this is very important because uh, soon or later, um, I don't know when, but I mean, it would be difficult to go in space, you know, because it's, it's a battlefield. Mm. Um, so this is one, one example. And the other example, of course, is trying to solve the energy problems mm. and uh, uh, and so I, I cannot elaborate on mm. this. But, but there is a possibility of, of addressing the climate change aspect with uh, energy solutions that laser can speed yeah, up. I or think so. Mm -hmm. well, that but it will take some work, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't have the... We, we, there, is, there are solutions, very difficult to undertake, mm -hmm. but I think as a scientist, I want really to devote my life to explore these mm. uh, solutions. Mm. This, of course, climate change is a major challenge uh, mm. that we're facing, so it's an important job. Mm -hmm. mm. Professor Strickland, what, what would you say is the, um, the biggest, w for you, the biggest winning with your work? Uh, well, you know, I, my, my brother's a businessman. And when I told him I got my PhD in this and that we had done this incredible laser, he said, but what have you done for the GDP? Hmm. <laughs> but now I can say we've sold a, lo a lot of people have sold a lot of lasers and made a lot of money somewhere. I don't know about you and me, but there's been <laughs> so it's helped the economy. Um, that would be one. And then th I'll just throw that out for my brother that I've helped the GDP, hmm. even if I didn't get any of the money. Um, no, I, I think it's the medical applications as far as humanity hmm. goes. Uh, and hopefully there's even more on the way. Uh, but I myself really still just try to do uh, just basic nonlinear optics for, mm. for new ideas. It's mm. not, I don't have the applications out there for humanity. Have you, have you met any of the patients that have been s surgically treated by, by your methods? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. How did that feel? At, at, well, I mean, exactly, uh, you know, um, you know, this, this technology, I mean, this, um, using this laser, femtosecond lasers, you know, for the eye surgery came by accident. Uh, uh, it was a real accident. Uh, it's my, my, one of my uh, students was aligning the laser. He got uh, the laser in his eye. Uh -huh. mm. And, you know, it's a very, very, the pulse is extremely short. Okay. And, um, and, uh, so it was not it was not a continuous wave laser where you get the laser in the end. No, it was boom. You know, you you cannot blink. That's what I want to say. You cannot blink when you get the laser in the eyes. Very short pulse laser. Anyway, so he, and uh, so he came in my office. He was completely destroyed. You know, uh, I thought he was destroyed because of the accident, mm. but no. He was destroyed because he, he thought that the lab would be closed. Oh. We, were in, we were in the United States, okay? Mm. So uh, things like this, you know, it, you close the lab. So that, he was scared about this. <laughs> and in fact, I told him, you know, don't worry about this, but we have to take you to the hospital. And, um, and we went to the hospital. And then the, the doctor uh, looked at, his, at the retina of Dittard Du, and this that's a, was the name of the student. Uh, and, and he said, well, sure, I mean, you got hit by the laser. And he said, well, what kind of, but, but what kind of laser do you have? Mm -hmm. and, and, and the st student, of course, 
it was the beginning of this leather. It was not really in the medical field at all. So he's, he told him, you know, it's a femtosecond laser, so, you know, and blah, 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 you know. And he said, why, why are you asking me this question? He said, well, because, I mean, your damage is perfect. Ah. So this is well understood. We had something, you know. And the, the doctor, was in fact, he was an intern, medical intern, which was examining my, my student. You know, he was intrigued by, by, by this, by, by the result also. So he gave me a call and he said, you know, I would like to work in your lab. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Mm. So, and, you know, in Verne, he was working as an intern, you know, 80 hours a week, but he wanted to still work in the lab. And so they, they were successful. They started a company, very successful company. And now there's about, what, uh, one, two, one million pa patients mm. a year, you know, which got uh, surgery. I mean, mm. if, if you want uh, to get out, get your, um, uh, get rid of your uh, eyeglasses and things like that, mm. you can get uh, photo, photo refractive surgery. It's, in, it's involved also with um, uh, glaucoma and mm. involved with uh, cataract surgery and so on. So it's very, very important technology, I think, which is just the beginning. Uh, to go. But it, it happened by accident and... Um, mm. We spoke about a little bit about climate change and the threats that we have ahead of us. And um, if you look at the way the crisis we face now, I feel that very often the scientists are not really listened to enough. And what do you, how do you look at your role in society as, as, as counterparts or or players with politicians and business leaders. Do you feel that the scientific world has enough, gets, gets listened to enough, or is it something we need to change, and how? Well, it depends on, on where you are in the world. I think, uh, I think people in the West have to um, catch on that science um, is huge in the East. Uh, I think if that was really driven home to me this week, because uh, as everybody is thrilled to meet all of the Nobel laureates, there was only one Nobel laureate that was constantly a media around, and mm. that was the Japanese laureate. He was nonstop. He's a rock star because he's a big scientist. And when I traveled to China, you realize how important science is to everybody in China and mm. Korea. And so in those three countries, science, and possibly other Asian countries too, but those are the three I'm most familiar with. Um, science is, is revered, and science is listened to, and, and people want to do science, and there's funding for science, and they're making huge changes. I mean, my parents lived in Korea for three months, and they just, 30 years ago, and they described it quite different than what I saw when I went a few years ago. And they have just decided that they should invest in science to help their country come out of poverty. And they are w right out of poverty mm -hmm. and, and are living great lives. And, but in the West, it's sort of like we're, we're suffering from sort of second generation rich syndrome where mm. we're taking it for granted. And I think too many people in the West are um, starting to not, not take it seriously and even to start calling us elitist rather than somebody to listen to. And so I, I mm -hmm. think it's a shame uh, that um, science is not as revered as maybe it should be 
in the West. Mm. If you want to keep having new technologies 50 years mm. down the road, we have to keep investing in science now. And I know that the Asian countries are certainly investing mm. heavy and um, we, we could really lose. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with Donna. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's true that in Asia, in China, for instance, or in Asia, uh, most of the head, you know, people, really politicians and so on, have a degree mm. in, in engineering or, uh, in, you know, in something which is scientifically, scientifically related, you know, technology related. So they can make, they can appreciate better. Uh, they can make maybe better law, better, better decisions, because they, you know, in the States, for instance, I mean, or in, in France, or so on, most of the most of the politicians do not have any degree in science, so, you know. So for them, I think it's very difficult for them to, to make any kind of decisions because they cannot appreciate, the, uh, they cannot get a sense mm. of uh, uh, the problems that we are surrounding, and uh, maybe so they can really appreciate. Uh, they cannot really. F help to find the solutions, you know. And then also we have presidents that ridicule science. That doesn't make it any better, does it? Absolutely. Absolutely, mm. of course. Mm. This, is, this is incredible. I have to say that uh, I'm, I'm not really, I don't like it. Mm. But and I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to elaborate on this. <laughs> no, that could be. Yeah. Yes, I understand. So how do we, how do we is there any way of elevating the status of science? I mean, how, how do we do this? We have students here, many of them I'm sure are students of science. Is there any hope for this, for, the, uh, for, for, for scientists to be more revered, uh, to be more taken seriously? And how, mm -hmm. do we, how do we get there? Well, hopefully, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, 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 I hope we don't wait too long to find out that um, that we're, you know, the West, the West has just had it maybe a little too easy for a little too long mm. um, as the wealthier uh, part of the world. And so it's a tough thing. I think it's always tough for people to not realize that life isn't going to keep s smoothly sailing like mm. it ha seems to happen. And so I don't know how to uh, change that. Um, mm. Speaking of the future, um, what are your greatest hopes in general for the future? I mean, you, you have both of you have children. Um, and what are your greatest... Grandchildren. Mm -hmm. What is the greatest fear, f if you look further ahead? Mm, I, um, I think this is related to the education and trying to, as a student, really to be really well educated you know, in all kind of, um, especially scientific, scientific, uh, because I mean, we are living, we, it, there is, there is, uh, we, I mean, we understand that things are not going to go on, maybe because our living, you know, uh, style, you know, cannot really maybe sustain, uh, it's not maybe sustainable, you know. We no, we know that for sure, yes. So, I mean, sooner or later, we will have to, to teach the kids about this, you know, and, uh, and to, you know, to, to come up with the reality. Mm -hmm. 
So, so what you're saying is that there is a fear of, of our civilization as it is, not being able to just continue with the continuous standards of living, or yeah, have to but but I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure, I'm deeply certain that uh, we cannot go on. Yeah. So, in my lifetime, I think we can do it. Okay. So you're hopeful. In my lifetime. Mm -hmm. The lifetime, my kids, I'm in, my, in my grandkids, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think so. So we have to do something a little bit more drastic to, uh, if we want really, if they want really to, to um, keep the same standard or even standard. We have to change the standard of living, you know. Uh, and um, so, but that, that, that is education. Just to take over. Mm. Thank you. Mm. And Professor Strickland, your greatest hopes and fears for your children and further generations to come? Um, well, of course, there's always hope that uh, things can only keep getting better. I mean, obviously, maybe my greatest hope after listening to my fellow laureates there is that they're so close to curing cancer. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Mm. So let's hope for that. Mm. Um, the greatest fear, of course, is that uh, we really do start slipping backwards, you know, and, it's, mm -hmm. and people, I don't think, think it can happen, but again, it, it came crashing home to me, and the 2015 was the International Year of Light, and uh, I was able to participate, Gerard was able to participate in the opening ceremonies, and I remember hearing that, you know, in the West, the way we learn education, I think we give Newton as sort of the beginning of optics and then you go to the International Year of Light and you get a more international perspective and they say no, it really happened in the golden age of Islam that a thousand years ago uh, there was a person who invented the camera obscura and, and it, it got to um, Newton mm. through the Silk Road and because that was a thousand years ago was, was the golden age of Islam where they had the culture, the education, the science, everything and the West was in the dark ages. Mm. And, and then you think, wow, okay, so now the West is out of the dark ages and we're moving forward, but um, yeah, I just hope we keep moving forward, but it's always a pendulum. I, my big fear is that it's a pendulum and that we may be swinging backwards and that would really be sad. Um, and um, so that's my fear, but of course my hope is that of course that's not the truth and uh, we just keep getting more and more enlightened all the time. Thank you. Before we conclude our mm -hmm. talk up here and let the students and the audience um, post their questions, do you have any final advice to the people in here that are students? Sort of any, any sort of takeaways that you would like to share with them? Always dream big and work hard for it, but not to, to get a prize, but only because it's something you really want to do. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, you, I share I share uh, Donna's opinion. Dream big and work hard. Certainly, think big and work hard. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. And now. We have 30 minutes of Q&A from you in the audience, and I'm sure we have hand, mic hand microphones. There's one in the back, 
uh, woman in a beautiful Somebody dress. Somebody in a very nice dress down there. Yes. It's a very nice dress. <laughs> and just some microphone technique advice. Press it onto your chin, hard, and leave it there. And then we'll have perfect reception. So hands up for the first, this one over here, all the way in the front. And please do stand up if there is room for you to stand up and state your name and your question. And I'd like for you to advise to keep it quite short. Please put your hand up again so he can find you. Here we go. Thank you. Hi. Uh, so my name is Javier. And uh, my question, you sort of touched on this a little bit already. But um, when you were talking about multitasking as a professor, uh, how do you deal with the frustration that in physics, uh, do you feel like most of your time is actually wasted writing grants and trying to convince people that your work is important? <laughs> well, you want to answer that? Well, I'm, I'm I know asking I'm going as, to uh, like as a physics student. So. Um, physics student, yes. No, I, I don't. Uh, okay, there's different ways <laughs> to answer that question. Uh, do I think it's wasted? No, I don't think that's wasted, and, and uh, I don't think we do it as much in Canada as maybe the United States has to do a lot more grant writing than in Canada, possibly because they have many more grants to choose from than we do in Canada. Um, so, and that's, but that's part of science, and that's my problem with multitasking is that uh, science is only one part of the job of being a professor. There's, there's research, there's teaching, and there's service. And it's the balance between those three things that keep juggling around. And, but writing research grants, to me, is sort of like writing a research paper. It's time when you sort of make yourself sit down again and think about the ideas in a <clears throat> sort of a rational way. And, and I think a lot of the times, that's when things get much clearer in my head, is either when you're, <laughs> you might think you've already had the idea clear before you would start writing the paper, but not always. Um, but writing the proposal is, is the beginning of the process, and it helps you really start to think about yeah. what you really are trying to get to do. Yeah, I, I will really uh, second what you said, because I think it's uh, when you are writing grants, you know, it's not a waste of time. And, and especially, even if the grant is rejected, your proposal is rejected, doesn't matter, you learn something. Mm. And also, usually, I mean, uh, especially for the grants, but where you, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, a team of uh, faculty are involved, uh, that really forces this grant type of grant uh, forces uh, the faculties, you know, to get together and see a check, uh, um, you know, uh, seek for common ground and 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 so on. And that's really the way, really the way that helps to to understand, you know, and broaden your uh, your um, your knowledge, you know, at least the knowledge that you have in these schools and so on, and put the people together. But the main thing is. Even if the grant is not successful, you have not wasted your time. I mm. mean, you learn something. He looks pleased. Very good. Probably lots of grants <laughs> being written in the following <laughs> years. So let's see. Any more questions, please? Hands up. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Maitani. And uh, I also would like to ask about frustration, but a different uh, one. 
Uh, this year we are uh, starting our master thesis and it's the first, uh, I'm also a physics student and it's the first time we have actual contact with research. And the most challenging thing so far has been to, um, for the first time, moving from courses where you were solving problems where at the end of the day there was an answer <laughs> to researching and being stuck in something for a week, a month, and uh, trying not to lose hope in what you're doing and be like, I'm heading towards something. So I would like to know if you have any piece of advice on how to deal with that frustration and keep mm. going. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is part of the pleasure. <laughs> ah, that, that is the fun, I don't know why. This is the fun. Yes. This is exactly the fun. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that, uh, you know, like I would almost um, cite Spinoza, you know. Uh, this is a pleasure when you are working on something and, and you are trying to elevate yourself to understand it. But it is not fun if you just find the solution immediately. What is fun is really trying to spend a lot of time. I mean, there is problems. I've been working, I have that in my head, for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a long time span. Mm. Yes. And this is what, where really the pleasure is. The, the pleasure of research is not just a teeny tiny problem that you have. Usually, you know, it comes, it comes, you know, like uh, more larger than that. And uh, and sometimes you are looking for something, and you find some something, something very interesting, you know, uh, next to it. But this is is not frustration. I mean, what you call frustration, I call that fun. That's right. I think, I think you want to also remember that physics is a team sport and that sometimes if it feels like you're hitting a wall, that's when you go to your research group or if you feel that it's maybe something a little bit closer to a different research group, you go and you, and you say, this is, this is, I've gotten this far with it, but I don't see a way forward. And somebody might say, you know, I read a paper Maybe it's not the right, and maybe you'll read that paper and go, he's wrong, cause, or she's wrong. Um, that isn't the right thing. But at least then you've at least read one more paper that uh, hopefully somebody else thought was worth reading, and so mm. it should be worth reading. Um, but again, you just, you just have to keep thinking and reading more and, and always uh, talking to people about it and shooting your ideas back and always saying, I understand it to here, but I'm missing something. And, and, but, but always look at it as just a great big mm -hmm. puzzle and, and yes, it, you aren't looking for an answer that's very close, but there's little pieces of the puzzle all the way along and it is such an amazing feeling every time you get just that other little piece that you struggled with and I can tell you the longer you struggled with it, the more satisfying solving that piece is. Mm -hmm. Thank okay. you. More questions please? Well, don't be shy. <laughs> Here we go. You shouldn't stand at the back because all the questions are at the front. <laughs> and the questions don't have to be only about the specific um, physics. It could be in general about being a student, etc. So. Um, so my, uh, my question is when, when you're on a problem, you've been trying to solve it for so long that you know how you have to have like a, uh, you're in that mentality 
Uh, wait, Tammy, sorry, uh, a bit nervous <laughs> trying to rephrase my question. Um, since you, since a person is in mental, when he thinks about a problem, he's in this state of mentality where you know he's thinking about the problem, and when you think about it for a long time, you get frustrated with it. So, do you try to change your mentality by doing stupid stuff like you know skydiving or something like that to Absolutely. experience? Yeah, sort of like to change your mentality, you need to experience something. So. Mm. Is it a stupid idea to like, if, if you can't think of a solution to a problem, you do something like stay awake 48 hours or run naked in the snow? Is that... If that's what floats your boat. But um, <laughs> I like to walk. And so I, if, if I get to the point where I think I'm uh, hitting a wall, uh, I like to just go for a walk and not think about it because, and then usually that's when in the middle of the night it's like, ah, like that. But sometimes it's a long time, it doesn't just come the next day. But, but I think if you're getting frustrated, I think science requires a lot of patience, right? Not that I exhibit patience, but science exhibits, you know, you have to have patience. Uh, but you also have to know that uh, if you're hitting a wall and getting frustrated, then you, you really can't think about it correctly. And that's the time to take a breather. Mm -hmm. I personally like to walk in the woods if I can. I, I would never go skydiving because I would be so scared out of my mind that, <laughs> uh, you know, that wouldn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Well, for, for me, I mean, it's just, uh, you, you, if, you have, if you stumble on, I mean, if you run into a wall, uh, well, I mean, you step back and then you just, think, um, take some time and uh, walking, or for me, in my case, it would be swimming or mm. something like that. And, and it, it maybe you will get the answer, but uh, don't push yourself, you know, just uh, wait for the... Enjoy. It is an enjoyable experience and, and you have to keep that in your mind. Yeah. There's always some tense moments and as Jordan and I said, I mean, obviously, giving the Nobel lecture, it's not like we haven't given, I don't know how many lectures in our life, but there was something about giving the Nobel lecture. Um, I think we were all quite nervous, uh, and it doesn't matter how many you've done it, and it's, but it's still uh, something that you do, and you enjoy doing it when it finally comes mm -hmm. to doing it. But it, physics should always be something that you like doing. That doesn't mean I have actually kicked my laser a few times, okay? Mm. Um, <laughs> if it won't do what I want it to do. Um, not, not up on the table where it could really hurt things, but other times. Or just the optical table itself, because it can take it. So <laughs> sometimes you get frustrated, but uh, it is. Just step back, give yourself a breather, and it'll be there waiting for you, ready to come back. Or always be working on more than one idea. That's the other thing to do, is that if you yeah, have more than one absolutely. idea, when you hit the roadblock for one, you just think, it's time to switch, and let's think about the <laughs> other. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, please. Oh, you're in the light. Hello. My name is Mark, and my question is uh, quite different. So, if Albert Einstein was alive and here today, what conversation would you like to have with him, and what would you like to tell him? Mm. Oh, is he? He's alive and like uh, 200 years old or alive in our age? <laughs> uh, okay, first, how much did your wife really help you? Uh, mm -hmm. I would like the wife to come back with him. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, of all the physicists in the world, I mean, I think he is probably the one who's, to me, at least to me, the most amazing. And um, it would be fabulous to hear how he went from one idea to the next. You know, I mean, the laser, he was the one who had the stimulated mm -hmm. emission in 1917, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it doesn't seem to matter what area of physics you're studying, <laughs> Einstein was there. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> well, what's, what's remarkable is always he starts with very, very simple observations. Right. You know, very simple observations and, and boom, you find, uh, you find the uh, general relativity. But I mean, that's, that's, that's true. It's true. It's always true like that. I mean, Newton, something. With the apple, yeah. Very, very simple observations. But you have to be curious and, uh, and he was, of course, curious mm -hmm. and so on, but it's, it's remarkable. But this is what I'm really, um, you know, the, you start from a seed, you know, and then this thing, this seed grows like, uh, like a big tree. And uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know what I will, question We're I We're gonna ask, ask him, how is it with CPA <laughs> when do you think we're going to break the vacuum? And, then, and what's the best way to break the <laughs> vacuum? I think that's really what we'd have to ask him. No, but that, that, I mean, we, we, can, we know that. Uh, <laughs> you know that. We know these questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we know how to do it. But, uh, yeah. We know how to do it. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> no, make a bigger laser. <laughs> Good question. Let's, let's take another one. Hi. Um, I might have it's kind of two or maybe even three, depending on... Two is good. On it. <laughs> uh, one, you said you always enjoyed physics. Did you never have times when, whilst uh, learning math and physics or still studying, that it just seemed to burn you out or exhaust you to where you thought, and I need to find something that's easier or, I don't know, something, something else really made you want to take a long break from it. Um, my other question was, again, for people still learning, uh, at least in physics it seems like a lot of people have a problem. Oh, that's different. Um, with uh, wanting to get to higher levels of physics, and so they don't want to go through the, the basics or anything and kind of I know sometimes I, I think this, this doesn't seem as relevant to what I really want to focus on as, I don't know, as I really want if I'm going to spend time on it. Do you have any advice for that? And have you ever found that you did use the things that you thought wouldn't be very useful? And, yeah. Well, Thank uh, you. you. Know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure quite I understand. Okay, well, first why. of all, you can't understand. Um, General relativity, if you don't understand Newtonian mechanics, so we are stuck teaching that ridiculous, you know, block up the ramp. And um, I mean, we could make it more fun or we could make it more gee whiz, but, but you do have to understand Newtonian mechanics to understand the rest. I don't think you can skip. That doesn't mean, you know, and, and in the education process, we're constantly trying to say, can we in first year keep them excited, teaching them all these other gee whiz things while we keep teaching the other. But but physics does have an awful lot of building blocks and you have to have them. Now, that said, um, those of us that go into light may not use 
um, statistical mechanics like somebody else who goes into condensed matter. But of course, at the beginning, you might not know which one you want to do, and so you have to study it all. Um, but again, there are so many connections between the math and the physics of all of these subjects that the more you learn and the more connections you make, the more it all makes sense. And there is a lot about learning physics that is just um, having you start to see it in a, in, a, in a sort of whole way that helps you understand um, pretty much physics as a whole rather than piece by piece. So maybe you're still at the point where you're thinking about it as piece by piece, but actually the beauty of physics is in its simplicity and the fact that there are really just very few fundamental uh, laws at play, but they get expressed umpteen different ways. Um, and, and so it's, you don't want to skip it because if you skip all of these things, I don't think the end can possibly make sense either. And so maybe we are sort of stuck having to learn all of it, but it's all beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, now their arms are coming up. Great. Oh, boy, oh here boy. you go. So up a little bit closer on this side, please. The gentleman here. I think we have one here first. Oh, here first. Okay, here we go. I didn't see you. Hi. You first uh, and then second. Oh, uh, you mentioned earlier, Donna, that you already knew in elementary school that you wanted to get a PhD. Yeah. So my question to the both of you is, do you have any other field than physics that you feel really passionate about? Hmm. No, I am so lucky because I'm good in almost nothing. And so <laughs> not, I not used really. to wonder about people that, you know, I had friends who could go either for their PhD in physics or into law because they were good at so many things. And I think, now how do you make that choice? And uh, I never had to make a choice. I knew I was really good in math and physics. And so it, my road, like in elementary school, I wouldn't have said that. You know, I just wanted to stay in school. But uh, certainly by the time I was finishing high school, it was very clear where I belonged. And so I didn't really even have to think about it. How about you, Professor? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was uh, always, I had always this traction with, uh, with physics, you know, uh, because it can explain the beauty of uh, who we are and where we are going and, uh, and solving the big problems and so on that I was captured. And uh, no, I never really uh, um, thought about doing something else, you know, just it went, it went along, uh, you know, along like this. and. I thought the field, the questions, we are talking about questions and uh, were enormously interesting and, and, and I, I just, I could find a way of living and so I didn't change it. Mm -hmm. um, Lifelong love affair from both of you, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just... Uh, but, but it's like any, any field, you know, I mean, if you're musicians, you know, if you want to practice, I mean, if you want to be good, you have to practice and so on. I mean, yes, so sometimes you have, you, 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 you know, you're frustrated because it doesn't go very like, like you want, but, but then uh, you come back a week later and you come find the solutions or you're, you, you're better to, to work a passage and, well, you know, just... Uh, I'll, t I'll tell you, the w I, I did actually consider quitting during my PhD. And uh, I went home to Guelph uh, t to ponder it. And um, it was great. I was watching a television show about the National Ballet School in Canada. And the chief teacher, I don't know what you call her, um, 
She said, I always tell all of the students when they first arrive, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, go do it. You won't stay with this. Hmm. And so then I thought, okay, that's probably true of a PhD. <laughs> so what else would I do? No, nothing. I'm going back. No. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you. Hi. Uh, I want to ask you that when you did that discovery in the past, you think, whoa, maybe I can win the Nobel Prize in the future. Me, no. So short. Um, no, I, we knew that we had something big. In fact, you know, Donna tells always his story, but... Uh, <laughs> you bought the pedal up, is that what you're going with? I always wanted to have, a, to have, to have it much more <laughs> you know, than what we were getting. And uh, so, uh, no, I knew it was going to be big, but it took time, it took mm. time, you know, to, to for, the, for the field to, to blow, you know, to... Uh, it's like any, anything, you know, in, in nature, you know, it takes time, you know, plant your seed and then you think that it's going to be f fine. But one, one, this is what I keep saying is you don't work for the PhD, for the Nobel Prize. You, this is a wrong way to, to approach things. You, work, you, you, you do it, you work because you love it. This is a, that is, that's it. Okay, you work because you love it. Don't the gold cannot be the Nobel Prize. Uh, the, you know, this, you, you have to feel that you like with passion what you are doing and, uh, and not think about things like Nobel Prize. And like but I, I will tell you uh, something else though, that um, this got big partly because the idea was great, the execution was great, <laughs> we did it, but that's not enough. I mean, I have to tell you that Gerard took this on, on a road show. Gerard um, just pushed and pushed, pushed. There's so many ways Gerard pushes. But um, he wanted people to build this Padawatt laser, and it took 10 years. And it took 10 years because there was technological challenges too, but uh, it was also a scary thing for people because these are expensive lasers, and, and originally they kept thinking, ooh, if, if the stretching doesn't really work, Right? Mm -hmm. if, if all of a sudden we lose some of the bandwidth, the stretching won't work, and then the pulse will be short going through these very expensive lasers. And so there was always a lot of pushback. And so it takes, it takes a few things. It takes the good idea. Gerard knew it would be big, but on the other hand, he himself could not make the petawatt laser. You need either a lot of funding or you need somebody with the big laser to do it. And Gerard continuously, continuously for 30-some <laughs> years now, has pushed this idea and kept telling people, and he goes to CERN and says, listen, laser acceleration is the way to go. So you not only have to do the science, but if you want to really, like I'm just riding his coattails, but if you really want to make it big, you have to also be advertising what you do all the time so that mm -hmm. people hear it, because they might hear it and might think it's nice, but that doesn't mean they jump on board. And he made sure people jumped on board. Yeah. Mm. I think that's, we need a hand for that one. It's wonderful. <laughs> yes, more questions? There's one in the back. Ready? Yeah. Hi, my name is Christina, and I am a physiotherapist studying medical science. And I just wonder, sometimes we 
just like to combine too many things to develop a good idea. So how do you manage to break it down to the thing you actually want to do research on? Thank you. Yeah, again, I mean, when it comes, you know what that is right, right thing to do for you, because you have, you have the, um, you know, the attractions, you know, of what you. It's not. I think you have to. A vision of the idea are just small ideas, things like this. Uh, usually, the idea which captures you, you know, is a really big one. And when it's a big one, then you know that it's the, the f this is what I want to do, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it's not just a small idea, like, you know, floating in the air. It's just uh, when it comes, you know, ah, that's what I want to do. This is because I think you have a sense of what you... So, but it has to come from, um, you know, uh, it has to come from, from you, it has to come from, uh, and you have to be, passion has a lot to do with that, uh, love with, with what you want to do is, uh, you know, it's just, it's like anything else, I mean, when you are, you know, uh, choosing, picking up a sport or something like that, because it's, you, you love it, you know, uh, and that's it, you know. Uh, so there's, there's nothing like uh, having, oh, this is a good idea, or maybe, you know, yeah, no, maybe that's not a bad idea. You know, you know no, I mean, you say, ah, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> mm. It sounds like what you're describing is almost like a physical sensation. It's physical. Yeah. You feel it and in your body. You feel it, and mm. nothing, you know, uh, can resist, mm. you know, to your passion. Mm. You have to reach it. I'd also say, though, there's, there's no one right way to do science. And I'll tell you that I yeah. got to work with two great men in ultra-fast lasers, and, and one is Gerard and one is Paul Corkum. And what was great about working for these two incredible people is that they have two very different approaches to doing science. Um, and so Gerard had a group of, like, by the time I finished, there were seven of us when I started, 30 by the time we finished, and Gerard is an idea guy. Whoa, 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 whoa. The ideas keep popping out of this man's head. And he would probably think about it for a while to make sure it was even worthwhile, but he would give us each the one idea. And, he, and you would try it for so long, and, and it was like he, he was trying it out in his brain, we were trying it out in his lab, and he would say yes or no, keep doing it, throw it away. Keep doing it, throw it away. Very quick. Now, Paul, when I worked with Paul Corkum, he had his one technician and his one postdoc. Now he has a team of who knows how many, so it's probably different for him now. But, but it was interesting to watch his approach after watching Gerard's approach. He said, I really have to do the work all by myself. And so I have to, I don't do the experiment until I've thought about it in my head and thought about it in my head and thought about it in my head until by the time I'm doing the experiment, it will be exactly as I have pictured it in my head. And, uh, and he was very careful then. So, so I think that there are different approaches, and so a, you always have to find your own. You can't, I can't be a Gerard and I can't be a Paul, I can only be a Donna. Um, mm -hmm. But nevertheless, I could watch from these two and uh, see what works for them and, and take the, what you can do, but it's, you, it's, I can't be a Gerard and I can't be a Paul. Um, so I don't think there's one right way, but as I agree, 
that when, when it's the right thing, Paul would have quit thinking about an idea when it realized it wasn't going to work. Girard had his army of people, but he could see usually quickly it's not. I will also tell you, both my husband who worked with him and I worked with him, will always remember Girard always saying, you must be revolutionary, not <laughs> evolutionary. <laughs> Thank you. We have time for one more question. Hi, my name is Madeline. Uh, so Donna, you said that we need more women physicists and women in science in general. Um, being a PhD student in physics myself, I feel very strongly about this. So my question to both of you is, how would you suggest we inspire young women in, to enter science? Thank you. I've thought about this a lot because I, you know, some people think it's, it, and I agree that there's these biases, but I think these biases exist in everything, and I think they've existed in medicine, and yet women go into medicine. I think they've existed in so many things, and women have gone into it, and yet women don't seem to be flocking to physics. I think a big reason for that is that women, everybody, women and men, want to do what society holds up as something to do. Um, and physics is not one of those things, unfortunately. Okay, here in the Western world. Uh, and so very few men do it. It's not, it, it's really, you know, if you look even just within science, there's a thousand people trying to be a medical doctor and a hundred people maybe trying to be a physicist. And so society says curing cancer is a fabulous thing to do and being physics, well, if you can't think of something else, okay, good. Um, and if you're going to do that, why are you not being an engineer? Because at least they get a decent paycheck. Physics, you just don't know. You may do, you know, get nowhere. And so I think this is the biggest problem is that I think of society. And I think in North America, Big Bang Theory has probably done more for physics than anything else because at least made <laughs> physics cool in a very weird kind mm -hmm. of way. Um, but I think until society as a whole says that physics is an important thing to do, we'll have trouble getting women flocking to it. Mm. Thank you. Do you would like to add anything? No, I think I, I agree with uh, You've never agreed with me this much in your life. That's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but tonight I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I think it's time for Ulle. The four stand up the four men to uh, enter the stage, right? I'll just give them the laureates a wonderful, warm hand, and thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you. Can you stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. So did we walk off now? On behalf of the entire committee, I would like to express our deepest gratitude for your presence with us here tonight. Professor Strickland, Professor Moreau, and of course, Katarina. Before we uh, conclude this evening, we have just one more question, and that is who you think we should invite to come here and speak with all of us. And since you, Katarina, have been with us here before, I think I'd let you start. Oh dear, I should have been prepared for this one. 
I know what I uh, said the last time, um, and I know since this um, this woman is now uh, in the facility vicinity of, of Lund, um, and that means she might be coming back, or you can have maybe book her for to come fairly soon. I think it would be wonderful to have uh, Michelle Obama here. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> she stole your answer, she, Gerard. So that, she, no she is in Copenhagen uh, like next week, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. We better get going, then, I guess. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Donna. <laughs> well, it would be interesting to have her and Donald Trump at the same time. Oh, dear. Like, uh, <laughs> Although I'd love to moderate that, I'd say. I think, <laughs> I, I think one of, you know, I like Angela Merkel, I think, you know. That's, why, her, that's her, what I answered her, last year. Oh, she's yeah? already been asked? No, 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 she hasn't been asked, but that was my suggestion. Oh, oh I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to steal that's it. That's all right. I Happy. just think that uh, as a scientist politician and the way that, I think she used her science training mm. in her political decisions, and I think I would find that very interesting uh, for a slight science audience to hear about how mm. you can take your scientific way of thinking and apply it to something totally different. Exactly. Thank yeah. you. Well, I mean, if I... I've so you have to think of a woman now, because we all have. No, okay, <laughs> so... Well, I mean, I, I think for me, I mean, uh, Mac Macron, since, yeah. since we are talking about political people, yes. uh, I, I really have been extremely impressed by, uh, by this, 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 uh, this guy. I know he has problems now, but uh, it's because he was very ambitious, and he wanted, he wanted to do things differently, and it's exactly what we need right now. And um, yeah, I mean, Macron would be my choice. <laughs> so we'll see, will Yeah, great suggestions. Once again, thank you so much for coming here. It's been an honor. Thank all of you. Thank you very much. So that we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So are we being let down? Here we go. What? So after you go Listen first? to the song. Listen to the song. Uh, here we go. Here's the Let's song. Yes, fun. here it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> Here he was. A little late, but there it is. It is a good song. Just what we need. Yeah, it's just Swedish. So let's just uh, head right back to where we, where we were. Upstairs. Tack för att ni har lyssnat. För att inte missa nästa studentafton följ oss på Facebook och Instagram. Sök på studentafton.